Well, Pastor Yosef Nadarkani of the Protestant Evangelical Church in Iran was first arrested in December 2006. He'd filled out some paperwork to register his church with the government of Iran. They arrested him, but, but, but released him two weeks later uh, without charges, but he was now on their radar. See, he was arrested again in October 2009. As a Christian, he had complained that his older son was being forced to read the Quran uh, in school. This time there were charges. He was charged with abandoning Islam and converting to Christianity. He was found guilty, ordered to recant or face execution. When his plight became internationally known, several countries, to include the U.S. and Brazil, which is a key economic partner, put pressure on Iran to release this Christian pastor. Charges against him were constantly being changed, bordering on the ridiculous. The latest charge was evangelizing Muslims, which is against the law and punishable by death. He was found guilty, sentenced to death by hanging. The international pressure succeeded. Pastor Yosef was released last September after almost three years in prison. Oh, he was rearrested a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Day. Apparently, the Iranian government wanted to make a point. No one is beyond our reach, especially you Christians, on the day that you celebrate the birth of Christ. When Pastor Yosef was released first back in September, he still had 45 days left to serve on the initial, initial charge of abandoning Islam. When they released him, they, they told him that you can serve out that 45 days uh, on parole. They changed their minds. Presumably, he will serve now the next 33 days to complete his sentence and then presumably be released because the risk of death for Christians is always eminent in Islamic countries like Iran. So, what did you think when you first heard this story, or perhaps heard it this morning for the first time? What were your thoughts? What questions came to your mind? Perhaps these, some of these were mine. Well, he must have done something wrong or he wouldn't have been arrested. Or... He knew he was living in a Muslim nation hostile to Christianity. He should have left. I mean, he's got a wife and two small boys. Or he knew he was living in Iran. He should have been more careful, more discreet. I mean, come on. We all know how some Christians can be. He was probably obnoxious. Or since he lives in a Muslim nation, he should... He should focus his efforts on humanitarian aid. You can't share Christ openly there. He should do the work of Christ without speaking openly of Christ. Or, really, he calls himself a pastor? I mean, I thought, I thought Christians, missionaries, you know, serving enclosed in hostile nations should be teachers and doctors and, and aid workers. Again, he should have he kept a lower profile. Or, well, he must have done something displeasing to God. Or God would have protected him, right? I mean, everybody knows that we, that we need a viable Christian witness in Iran. 
Or perhaps you thought, great, those Muslims are accomplishing their goal in stamping out Christianity with their intimidation and, and persecution. With their tactics, it won't be long till they run the world. Maybe one or more of those were your thoughts, like mine. I don't know, Pastor Yosef, or, or the Protestant evangelical church in Iran. I don't know his theological beliefs. I don't know if he's obnoxious. I don't know if he'd fit in alliance. But is it possible that Pastor Yosef is in prison today because of his faithful Christian belief? Is it possible he is suffering unjustly for the cause of Christ as a faithful witness? Is it possible he is right where God wants him? <laughs> yeah. Is it possible that through his suffering, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being magnified? Even in Iran, right there in that special Lakin prison, that's where he is, that's reserved for political prisoners. Is it possible Christians in Iran, far from being intimidated, are, are now more bold in their proclamation of Jesus as the Savior of the world. Is that possible? Here are some more questions for you to consider. Is it possible that we have become too comfortable in our relative wealth and religious freedom? Is it, is it, is it possible we have become too cynical for Christian brothers and sisters around the world and what they are suffering for Jesus. Come on, Scott, this is all just political. Is it possible we have become complacent in our witness and consider ridicule for believing the gospel to be equivalent to real suffering? Is it possible many of us would perhaps fade, desert, recant when faced with this kind of persecution? Or would we stand firm? You see, I think some of these were the questions facing the church in Philippi when they heard the Apostle Paul had been arrested politically and was now in prison in Rome. The many trumped-up charges against him were also fabricated. He brought an uncircumcised Gentile into the temple courts. That's what started this whole thing. He's teaching things unlawful for Roman citizens to believe. Remember that? He's instigating riots throughout the Roman Empire. That's what they said. He is, he is fomenting insurrection against the Roman emperor. He's actually claiming that there's only one God. And it's not Nero. Peel it all away. And the truth is, Paul was arrested simply for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Philippians had some questions, or at least some concerns. Yeah, they loved Paul. He was the one who had, who had brought them the good news of Jesus. He, he was the one who planted the church right there in Lydia's home 10, ten years ago. They had supported him for, for 10 years in his missionary work. They they had given generously uh, to the relief effort, to the church, to the Christians in, in Jerusalem. That's what he should be doing. Now he's been arrested. And we all know what kind of Christian Paul is, always opening his mouth when he shouldn't. 
He should learn to exercise a little more discretion. Perhaps spend a little more time in, in relief efforts like taking money to the poor in Jerusalem. What has Paul done now? Is it possible Is it that even the apostle Paul has done something displeasing to the Lord and he's now in jail? They still loved him. And they sent him aid, a gift through Epaphroditus. But, but those nagging questions, I'm suggesting, remain. So Paul writes them this letter we call Philippians to let them know of his circumstances. After his typical greeting and thanksgiving, he, he, he lets them know what's going on. And it's a bit crazy. I mean, it's, it's, the whole tenor of this letter is a bit shocking. You see, a major theme running through this epistle is this idea from prison of joy. What? Come on. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of unjust imprisonment, even in the face of potential martyrdom. We would do well to pay careful attention to these verses. It might just change the way we think about the Pastor Yosefs and the Pastor Sammies of the world. It might just be that they become heroes of our faith. We, we, we might realize the words of Hebrews 11 actually apply to them. Women received back their dead, the believers, by resurrection. Others, believers, other believers were tortured not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking and scourging. Yes, also, well, well change and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Did you know that there was a time when committed believers actually, listen up, they actually sought martyrdom for the cause of Christ? They, they somehow saw suffering as honoring to Christ and paying the ultimate price as most honoring. That, that's crazy, you said, well, sure. But we'll talk about this attitude of longing for death in the weeks to come. Who do you want to be? People longing for the comforts of life? American dream? Keep your head low? Out of the line of fire? Or do you want to be those who stick their necks out and maybe get them chopped off? That's morbid. No, that's Christian. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and following. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Are they crazy? 
Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul, really? Are you, are you just crazy? I mean, this guy's been in prison for up to four years now. He's actually going to go on and say that Christ will be exalted by his life or, well, by his death. He's going to write some insane words. For me to live is Christ and to die is... That's gain. Really? Go on in chapter 2. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering, even if I die as an offering to the Lord upon the sacrifice and, and, and service of your faith, I rejoice. That sounds a bit extreme to me. That's, that's crazy. Well, unless it's all true. Unless it's true that Jesus suffered and died for me. Unless it's true he called his followers to suffer and sometimes die. Unless it's true that some, something better awaits followers of Christ. That this ain't nothing. Unless, it, unless the gospel is true. Then, then, then all of a sudden, we can rejoice. We can pray for Pastor Yosef and at the same time rejoice that his unjust imprisonment has brought the gospel of Jesus Christ into the limelight of the world. Say, so that's, well, that's, that's, that's Paul. That's Yosef. What about us? Have you ever wondered what God is calling you to do or to be? for the cause of Christ and what it might cost you. <laughs> he might be calling you to go to El Salvador or Papua New Guinea or, or to the Middle East. We've had some go. Maybe he's calling you to be a witness right here among your family and friends, and it's going to cost you, and you know it, and it's why you haven't opened your mouth. The outline of this text follows Paul's circumstances. The circumstances go from chapter, uh, from verse 12 all the way to verse 26. We're just going to look at the 12 to 18, which recounts his past and present circumstances. You see, verses 19 and following, he's going to talk about future plans, well, depending on whether or not he lives. Outline today looks like this, the effect of Paul's circumstances outside the church, the effect of Paul's circumstances inside the church, and then the effect of Paul's circumstances on Paul. And as I suggested, I, I think the Philippians were wondering about Paul's imprisonment. At the very least, they're concerned that Paul's witness has been snuffed out. It's been hindered. So right at the beginning, Paul addresses it. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the, of the gospel. What? Don't miss the irony. They had imprisoned him to shut him up, 
to curtail the gospel, but all it did was to serve to advance the gospel. These words are amazing. You would expect this great missionary to say something like, big trouble, guys, I'm in trouble, I'm in prison, can't share the gospel, this is a major setback for the church. He doesn't say that. Wow, he's just a glass half full kind of guy. He's a Pollyanna, positive thinker, sees good in everything, can be glad in every circumstance. He's got excessive optimism. Is that it? No, not really. He goes on to tell us he might be facing death. But he also tells us why his imprisonment turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, now he doesn't just mean, hey, everyone, everyone knows that I'm in prison. No, that's not what's important to him. Everyone knows why I'm in prison for the cause of Christ. In other words, the gospel is gaining a hearing. The gospel is being magnified. To, to whom? Well, for starters, the whole Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guard uh, were, were the emperor's special bodyguard. Historians tell us that there were like 9,000 of them at any given time. They were the crack soldiers of the army. They got all kinds of special benefits, double pay, things like that. Among other duties, they guarded this is interesting. They guarded political prisoners. Does that sound familiar? You see, political prisoners were those considered a threat to the emperor. So since they were the emperor's personal bodyguard, they guarded political prisoners against the emperor. Yeah, the way it worked out was that one or, or, or two guards would be chained to Paul for about a... <laughs> this is funny for about a four-hour period of time. What do you suppose that Paul talked to them about during this time? Talk about a captive audience. Who was really chained to who? I mean, can you imagine? It begs a question. What would people hear from you if they were chained to you for four hours? Oh, that's right, they are. It's called work. Paul would share the gospel, sometimes overtly, perhaps covertly, as he dictated not one but four prison epistles while they listened in. Paul says the whole praetorian God. It's unlikely that the 9,000, all 9,000 were chained to him during this four-year period. But what, what he means is, my, sto my story has made the rounds. This is what they're saying. Hey, this political prisoner we're watching, he's nuts. He's a bit different from the others. They talk about it. They just go on and whine about how they're innocent. They've been framed, how unlucky they've been, how terrible thing are, things are. This guy, like he's happy. He, he keeps talking about this Jewish Messiah who, who, who died and, and was raised again. And can you believe that? And, and he, he tells us that this Jewish Messiah died for, for my sins. Did some of them believe? I, I, I don't know. Probably. You see, when Paul closes this particular letter, he sends a greeting at, at the end of the letter and says, all the saints here greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> That's amazing. How did they hear? 
He was being guarded as a political threat to the emperor, and some of the emperor's household believed this so-called political intrigue. You think that Paul was right where God wanted him. Something else to note. We remember that we're studying Paul's letters in the order that he wrote them, right? Though he's already written Romans because we've already looked at it. Romans is the letter to the church at Rome. And in that letter, he says, I, I, I really, I long to come to Rome and to preach the gospel there. So here he is in Rome, preaching the gospel to the praetorian guard uh, and obviously to some in Caesar's household. Oh, yeah, he's in prison. He's not the way he expected to preach the gospel in Rome, but he's doing it. Makes me wonder, is it possible that in whatever you're facing right now, Unpleasant as those circumstances might be, is it possible that God wants to bring you face-to-face with people who need to hear the gospel? It's going to require that we lift our eyes above our circumstances to those around us. Who has God brought into your life? Not only did the Praetorian Guard hear the message, the, the message, so also did everyone else, everyone in Rome. I, I don't know exactly what he means here. Certainly there were lots who heard about the cause of Christ. I find that, again, interesting. If I had been unjustly in prison, everyone would know about it, you bet. I don't deserve this. Get me out of this mess. This is unfair. This is wrong. Get me a lawyer. But Paul knows who he was in prison for. It was for the cause of Christ. And he spoke of him because he was a man of Christ. Brings us to our second point, the effect of Paul's circumstances inside the church, verses 14 to 17. Again, this is a little different than you might expect. You'd expect something like, hey, listen, you need to pray for these Christians in Rome. They're scared to death. I mean, they're hiding out. They've they've gone underground. Now, they do a little bit later when they go down into the catacombs only to, to worship. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, most of the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, have gained a greater trust in the Lord because of my imprisonment and have more courage to speak the word of God without fear. The, the, the word of God for Paul is typically the truth of the gospel. Certainly that's what he means here because uh, he's going to call it the preaching Christ in the next verse. This is not what you expect to hear. Paul's imprisonment increased their trust in the Lord and they spoke of Christ more courageously without fear. Is that what you would do? God actually used Paul's Suffering to prod evangelism. How does that work? Well, because they understood, as Christians have throughout the centuries, that suffering for the cause of Christ is to be expected. Later in this same chapter, Paul will say, It's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. It was in the fine print of the contract when, just as I am, you came. They they, they, they believed that and saw suffering as 
a fulfillment of what God intended. They, they understood that light exposes darkness. Darkness won't like it. They'll retaliate, of course. They understood if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you too, of course. Later, an early church father, a leader by the name of Tertullian, was writing an apologetic, a defense of the faith. This new faith that was now being persecuted throughout the Roman Empire. And, and, and he was writing, you need to understand that he was writing to governing authorities who were doing the persecuting. And he says to them, listen, not, not only is Christianity true, but your attempts at, at wiping out um, Christianity aren't working. You're trying to persecute Christianity out of existence. It's failing. In fact, don't you know, governing authorities, by what you're doing, that you're actually spreading Christianity? Don't you know, and then he makes that famous statement that some of us have heard, don't you know that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? Spill our blood. It just turns into seed for the gospel. That's what these early Christians understood. That's why they ran to suffering. That's why they pursued martyrdom. This is what we need to see with Pastor Yosef. You can try Islam to stamp it out, to wipe out Christianity with your extremist and violent views, and I'm going to resist the urge to talk about the violence within Islam. It's not a peaceful religion. You can try. It won't work. Don't you know Ayatollahs, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and that all you are doing is storing up wrath for the day of judgment. They spoke the word of the gospel more courageously at a time when madman Nero was emperor. Sounds a little bit like the madman in Iran right now. didn't shut Paul up, and it didn't shut Yosef up either. Suspicion in the Roman Empire was already growing against the church. One author said it this way, Paul joyfully explains to the Philippian believers that the net effect of his own imprisonment has been to give the Roman brothers and sisters extraordinary courage to proclaim Christ at the heart of the empire itself where storm clouds are brewing. Do we have more courage to speak boldly when opposed, when ridiculed, when rejected? Well, you understand that Paul, jo uh, Paul uh, and Jesus, the Scripture, said to expect such treatment. Should we not run to suffering for the cause of Christ? Sh should not the stories of Pastor Yosef Make us more bold. They, 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 they arrested Peter and John, and they beat them, and they threatened them. Don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. They go back to the church, and they report to the church what had happened. And so the church prays, and they pray, make us more bold to speak and teach Jesus. And the place where they were meeting was shaken physically shaken. I think God gave them their own little mini earthquake to say, I really like that prayer. Verse 
verses 15 to 17, Paul takes a little aside to talk about two groups of people who are preaching the gospel, and I need to move very quickly during his imprisonment, two different motivations. First group we get, he says, some preach Christ from goodwill, that is with good intent, good proper motivation. They preach out of love. They want to see people come to faith in Christ. And they also understand that I am where I am because I have been appointed for the defense of the gospel. That is an interesting statement. Paul says there are those who wonder why God's apostle maybe have been uh, arrested, maybe has been arrested and, and in prison, just like I, I'm sure some have wondered why Pastor Yosef and others have what they've done wrong to, to to be arrested in prison. But Paul says this this group they understand that I am appointed, and that's a military term that, that speaks of a divine appointment. I have a military responsibility to defend the gospel. God has me where he wants me so that I can defend and proclaim the gospel. Wait just a minute. Do you mean to say that Paul's imprisonment was according to God's plan and purposes? You mean that God wasn't up in heaven fretting, saying, what am I going to do now? My chief apostle's in jail. You mean it was God's will for Pastor Yosef to be in prison to advance the gospel? Paul and others in the church in Rome knew Paul was right where God wanted him. The Praetorian Guard was hearing the gospel. Some in Caesar's household heard it and believed. I don't know how, but you can be sure that God orchestrated the events. Now, Paul also says that there were others preaching Christ during this imprisonment from envy and strife out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking, or the word there is supposing, to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And don't miss Paul's intentional word choice here. He's, he's, he, he, he's using some irony. The first group preached from love, knowing that Paul's preaching and imprisonment were improved by, approved by God. The second group preached from envy, supposing God, Paul was not approved and sought to bring him distress. The first group, he says, knows rightly. The second group supposes wrongly. Now, the second group, the identity is a bit confusing. Uh, uh, who are they? No small amount of discussion about this. The words envy and strife appear in Paul's vice list. In fact, these are, th- these are attitudes that we as Christians should, should not have. Who are these guys? Again, not going to go into all of the discussions and pages and pages of arguments. Um, boil it all down. Most agree that, that a close reading of the text indicates that they are actually Christians, at least professing Christians. See, there's nothing in Paul's language that indicates they're heretics or that they're Judaizers who he'll take to task later in this book. His attitude here is not one of contempt. These are most likely Christian leaders who are jealous of the Apostle Paul. You see, he had shown up in their territory. He makes a big splash. The whole Praetorian Guard, Caesar's how everybody's hearing about it. And so now they're preaching Christ boldly, trying to compete with Paul. Perhaps suggesting he's out of God's will since he's in prison. They're trying to to build up their own little empires, preaching Christ while preaching against Paul. 
Not unlike the divisions that took place in, in Corinth. I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of, of Christ. Silly, silly divisions which distract from the truth of the gospel. Now listen. This is not unlike the, pelis, je, uh, the petty jealousies today that exist between pastors and churches and church leaders and denominations. Go with me to a pastor's conference. It's disgusting. All I want to know is, what are you running? Are you more successful than me? It's petty. I tell you, we're a, large, a larger church in this community, and, and, and others have been jealous. They express it in silly ways, suggesting, for example, that we're liberal. For, because we have guitars and drums on the stage. That, that actually has been said. I want you to know that I have been accused of a lot of things. I have never been accused of being liberal. <laughs> but our attitude, even if people speak against non-essential issues, is to thank God that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being faithfully preached in churches across this community. Petty jealousies and competitions have no place in the body of Christ. Brings us to our last point and conclusion in just a couple of comments in verse 18. Paul says, what then? What, what do I do with these preachers who are preaching with impure motives, out of jealousy and envy? What do I do with them? Why? Nothing. Nothing. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, with proper or improper motivations, Christ is proclaimed. It doesn't matter how they feel about me. It doesn't matter if they don't like me. It doesn't matter if they're jealous of me. What matters is that Christ and his gospel are being preached. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And in this, he says, I rejoice. I want you to understand that for Paul, everything was Christ and his gospel. That is all that mattered. The advance of the gospel overrode everything. Personal inconveniences, personal sufferings, even unjust imprisonments. If they served to advance the gospel, no problem. There are churches all across this community meeting this morning of different flavors. Some are critical, but we can rejoice. As long as Christ is being preached, we can rejoice that brothers and sisters are worshiping Christ, proclaiming the gospel today. Let me be clear. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come up. We must remain faithfully committed to the truth of God's word. Listen. Write these down. I'm kidding. When it comes to styles and looks and methodologies and philosophies and music choice and song selection and instrumentation and dress and choirs and robes and suits and ties and jeans and dresses and dress shoes and sandals and books of order and invitations and altar calls and these and thous and stained glass and steeples and chairs and pews and communion every week or communion once a month, the list goes on and on. It does not matter. If Christ is being preached in this, we will rejoice. Stand for, or no, stay seated. I, wait, wait, just stay seated. Let me pray. Father, we want, to be, we want to be a people about Jesus Christ. That, that, that's it. 
about him and his gospel. Yeah, we want to be faithfully committed uh, to, to the truth of, of God's word. We want to faithfully proclaim it and teach it. We want to do it where it costs us, among friends and family, even going. And we've had many from this church go. Some are in dangerous places this morning as I pray. So I want to do what I should have done three years ago. I want to pray for Pastor Yosef, who is in Lakin Prison, suffering for the cause of Christ. Would you preserve him? Would you care for his wife, who was also arrested and then released? Care for those little boys under 10? Care for his church? Care for the brothers and sisters there? May they boldly proclaim, and may we do the same. We've got some in the Middle East, family members who are here this morning. Would you be with them? Keep them safe. And may they boldly proclaim. And may we do the same. In Christ's name, amen.